Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? Hey, spooktacular people. This is Stephen Pappas, and I'm an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast. This episode is entirely listener-supported. If you'd like to support the show, check out the Support the Show tab at historygoesbump.com. Did y'all hear that? I'm sure it's nothing. Okay, here's the thing. We're going to need to split up, and I know that's not usually a good idea, but I really don't think that there'll be any sort of problem. So I'm going to go over here, and I'll just... Steven? Steven, are you there? Uh, Steven? Denise, cue the music, quick. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 187th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On today's episode, we are going to Chicago. and We're going to be covering a location that was suggested to us by our listeners, Matthew Herons and Kristen Swintek, and that is the Congress Plaza Hotel. Denise, when we were in Chicago, I don't believe we even went outside of this hotel. I can't remember. It claims to be the most haunted hotel in the city. And based on our research, it sure seems like it is. Or Diane just drank the (laughs) Kool-Aid. There's a lot of stuff going on here and a lot of things that happened in its history. I'm still upset that you're taking me to Chicago and I don't get any pizza. Well, I, I guess I could make you some, but it wouldn't be the same as having Chicago pizza in Chicago. Before we do that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, John. Hey, John. And you're it, buddy, so enjoy the spotlight. And now, this moment in oddity. William Judson Moon was a successful businessman in Cato, Oklahoma. His wife was Molly, and he adored her. He would have to leave her on occasion for business, and in 1904, he made a trip to St. Louis to supervise construction on a new hotel he was building. While he was away, Molly committed suicide. William was devastated, and he wanted to keep Molly preserved. He built a glass casket for her, had her body carefully preserved, and put her in her favorite dress. The local paper claimed that, quote, the mummification is as complete as any the Egyptians ever accomplished, end quote. He then built a brick mausoleum for her that has come to be known as the Moon Mausoleum. It cost him $2,000 to build. He would visit her every day and brush her hair. He changed her clothes and shoes sometimes, and legend claims he even bathed her body. Throughout this time, the mausoleum was open to the public, and Molly became a type of tourist attraction. Over time, vandalism caused the family to close up the mausoleum and put bars on the windows. The devotion William showed his mummified wife defied the normal conventions of society and certainly was odd.
Grab your slippers, hot chocolate, flashlight, and maybe even that baseball bat. And now, this month in history. In the month of March, on the 15th and 44 BC, Julius Caesar was assassinated by members of the Roman Senate. Caesar was at the height of his power in 44 BC, and in his arrogance, he declared himself dictator for life. Sixty members of the Roman Senate decided that the only choice they had was to assassinate Julius Caesar. The group never met publicly, and they laid out their plans in small groups at each other's homes. They discussed throwing him from the bridge or attacking him along one of his favorite paths, but they finally decided that the Senate was the best place. He would be alone, and they could hide daggers in their togas. After Caesar entered the chamber, the senators unsheathed their daggers. Servilius Casa hit him first in the shoulder. Casa's brother then hit him between the ribs. Cassius Longinus hit him next, and the attack continued with even Brutus, whom Caesar thought was his ally and friend, stabbing at Caesar as well. He fell at the feet of a statue, mortally wounded. Every conspirator wanted to get in a stab, and when they were done, Caesar had 35 wounds. A battle ensued between the armies of the Senate and supporters of Caesar, and by the time that was done, several of the conspirators had committed suicide or had been killed. Chicago's Congress Plaza Hotel, as Diane said, is said to be the city's most haunted hotel. Chicago hosted the World's Fair in 1893, and the hotel was built to help provide more accommodations, so it has been around for more than a century. World leaders, U.S. presidents, and the rich and famous have all stayed here. There are rumors that the hotel was used during Prohibition by Al Capone. And similar to the inspiration the Stanley Hotel provided to Stephen King when writing The Shining, the Congress Plaza Hotel inspired him when writing his short story, 1408, which eventually became the movie of the same name starring John Cusack. There seems to be many spirits at the hotel to help provide haunting inspiration. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Congress Plaza Hotel. We really can't discuss the history of the Congress Plaza Hotel without talking about the World's Columbian Exposition. This was an event that was organized to commemorate the 400th anniversary of Columbus's landfall in the New World. The first World Fair was held in 1790 in Prague, Bohemia. The country of France hosted the World Fairs for the next 30 years, all of them in Paris. The first World Fair hosted in America was in 1829 in New York City. Chicago would host the 12th World Fair to be held in America, and this was the World's Columbian Exposition. Civic leaders in Washington, D.C., St. Louis, New York City, and Chicago decided that another fair was needed in America to generate business and increase real estate values. Congress okayed the idea, and it was left to them to decide if Chicago or New York City would be the host city. Financial giants from both cities competed with each other to pledge funds. New York's J.P. Morgan, Cornelius Vanderbilt, and William Waldorf Astor pledged $15 million. Chicago's Marshall Fields, Cyrus McCormick, and Philip Armoire pledged the same. Plus, the people of Chicago threw in an additional $5 million in stock subscriptions. So that made Congress lean towards Chicago, and they did vote for them, and then a site was selected. Many people wanted to have the fair in a central location, but there were difficulties with traffic and property rights. A marshy bog named Jackson Park, seven miles out, was chosen. 
Daniel H. Burnham was named the Exposition's Director of Works. Burnham wanted to focus on architecture and sculpture to the degree that Paris had focused on engineering. He recruited the top architectural and artistic talent, including landscape architect Frederick Law Olmsted. Olmsted wanted to design a park that would rival Central Park in New York City. And a fun fact here, George Washington Gale Ferris Jr. designed the first Ferris wheel as a landmark for the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago. It was meant to rival the Eiffel Tower, which debuted in the 1889 World's Fair. So basically, they had this huge steel structure in Paris. And so what they wanted to do was create a huge steel structure that would be the landmark for this one. And they came up with the Ferris wheel design. Yes, and ours moves and takes you around in circles. So that was kind of cool. And what's really cool now is the Ferris wheel is the landmark of a lot of major cities. We have one here in Orlando. London has theirs. The, The Orlando Eye, yeah. So the big, big Ferris wheels. But this fair did not end on a good note. It left behind a small pox epidemic, a fire that swept through the fairgrounds and destroyed many buildings, and Mayor Carter Harrison was assassinated. The Congress Plaza Hotel was built in 1893 to help provide accommodations for visitors to the World Fair. And Denise, you know, we can't talk about providing accommodations for the World's Fair in Chicago without pointing an infamous hotel that was built in the White City at that same time by a certain someone. Would that certain someone happen to be a Mr. H.H. Holmes? Indeed. His murder castle was built for the exact same reason, to provide accommodations for people coming to the World's Fair. Obviously, his accommodations were a little different than the Congress Plaza Hotel since his were meant to actually kill people. Yeah, it's a little bit more like the Hotel California. (laughs) Yeah. Built in Chicago. Exactly. You check in, but you don't check out. So... Uh, We have talked about the murder castle. We made a video while we were at the actual location in Chicago, which you can check out on YouTube. I know I talked about H.H. Holmes and his murder castle when I was on the Most Notorious podcast, and we mentioned it in passing when we did our road trip episodes in 2015 when we were in Chicago as well. Yes, and the thing with H.H. Holmes, he was a sick, sick puppy. Exactly. If people don't know his story, definitely look it up. And if you don't like to read, the movie's coming out starring Leonardo DiCaprio pretty soon, so you'll get to see it on the big screen. And as a matter of fact, the hotel that he built wasn't called the Murder Castle, because obviously people aren't (laughs) going to go stay at the Murder Castle. It was called the World's Fair Hotel. Originally, the Congress Plaza Hotel was called the Auditorium Annex and was designed to complement the building that was right across the street, which was built by Louis Sullivan, and that was the Auditorium Building. This had great acoustics in it. The hotel was designed by Clinton Warren, and Louis Sullivan was a consultant for him because since they had both these buildings that were supposed to complement each other, it would make sense to ask the guy who'd built the other one, hey, could you come over and and consult with me on this one? Also, Dankmar Adler had helped to build the auditorium or design the auditorium building, and so he was also a consultant. Hotel developer R.H. Southgate was the one who built the hotel. The two buildings were connected by an underground marble passageway, that was dubbed Peacock Alley. And it had all of these wonderful colors, which is why it was called Peacock Alley. And unfortunately, even though this seems like it is an awesome piece of history for everyone to see, it has been sealed off for decades. I'm glad you explained that, Diane, because I thought it was called Peacock Alley because all these rich and famous were strutting their stuff as they walked between. Well, that could be too. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Other features of the hotel were added later, 
Between 1902 and 1907, the Holbert and Roach firm designed and built the 14th-story South Tower. Part of this addition included the Gold Room, which was the first hotel ballroom in America to have air conditioning. The 12-story North Tower added the Florentine Room in 1909, which was another ballroom. At this point, there were 1,000 guest rooms. New owners decided to rebrand the hotel and give it a new identity. They looked to its location for inspiration. The street running along it was Congress Street, and it was across from Congress Plaza, so they named it Congress Plaza Hotel in 1908. Subsequent owners would add more improvements. Guest rooms were enhanced in 1916 to add electrical outlets and desk lamps and remove hanging chandeliers. Original bathroom fixtures were replaced in the early 1920s. The Elizabethan room on the ground floor became a dance club with the innovation of a revolving bandstand in the 1930s. They renamed the club the Joseph Urban Room. In 1935, it was home to Benny Goodman and his NBC radio show. During World War II, the hotel was purchased by the government and was used as a headquarters for U.S. Army officers. The hotel moved back to private hands in 1945 when a group of Chicagoans purchased it. In 1950, the Pick Hotel Corporation purchased the property and began a multi-million dollar renovation, which included adding a mural-encircled lobby, new front desk, new public rooms on the third floor, new corridors, new congressional and presidential suites, and a new supper club called the Glass Hat. Escalators and another ballroom were added in the 1960s. Rumors claim Al Capone once owned the hotel, but there's no proof of that. Others claim he played cards there. What does seem to be true is that Jake Greasy Thumb Gusick phoned Capone in Palm Island, Florida in regards to the St. Valentine Day Massacre from a phone at the Congress Plaza. During all its earlier decades, the Congress Plaza came to be known as the home of presidents. Those presidents include Howard Taft, Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, Calvin Coolidge, Woodrow Wilson, William McKinley, Grover Cleveland, and Richard Nixon. Political conventions were hosted here, and as a matter of fact, the nickname Bull Moose for Teddy Roosevelt's Progressive Party was coined here. The hotel became the headquarters for the Democrat Party and President-elect Franklin Roosevelt in 1932. In 1952, the Republican Credentials Committee broadcast from the Gold Room via television. In 1971, nearly 3,000 people packed the Great Hall when President Richard Nixon addressed the Midwest chapters of the AARP and National Retired Teachers Association. Today, the Congress Plaza Hotel features 871 guest rooms and several suites. The lobby features beautiful mosaic tile by Tiffany & Company along with gorgeous chandeliers. It also is a convention center. There's also a lot of marble. There's statuary. It is a very fancy-looking lobby. Just gorgeous. A lot of great woodwork in the bar area. Just a magnificent hotel on the inside. Next time we're in Chicago, we need to go through this, Denise. Absolutely. The hotel also features ghosts, of course. Some claim that this is the most haunted hotel in Chicago. Could its tragic past associated with many suicides be part of the reason for its notorious reputation? James Kennedy was a man from New York who came to the hotel in May of 1910. He checked into his room and then strangely cut all the dry cleaning identification tags out of his clothes and burned his documents. So it was like he didn't want anybody to know who he was. And then he walked across to the lake and shot himself. That same year, an insurance salesman named Andrew Mack visited a friend who was staying at the hotel 
He then left and walked to the lake and drowned himself. So I don't know if there's something speaking to these men when they're at the hotel. Go kill yourself by the lake. Is it the hotel that's haunted or the lake? (laughs) Yeah. In 1916, mining investor Morris Davis and his wife attempted suicide in their Congress Plaza hotel room by taking cyanide. His wife survived, but later tried to throw herself out of a third story window at St. Mary's Mission. She tried to tell them, uh, we thought it was some kind of Epsom salt or something. We didn't realize it was cyanide. But then when she tried to kill herself again, they were like, uh, no, you were trying to kill yourself. A salesman committed suicide by throwing himself down an elevator shaft. Another man hung himself on a cupboard hook in his room and a drifter jumped off the roof of the North Tower. There are many rooms that reputedly have spirits hanging around in the afterlife. The most notorious of these is room 441. The room hosts full-bodied apparitions. Cold spots and disembodied whispers have been experienced, and even more startling are reports that items have launched themselves across the room. Could this room be the inspiration for Stephen King's story, 1408? Other rooms that could be candidates as inspiration for 1408 are room 905, where constant phone static is experienced, room 474, where the channels on the television are constantly changed, and room 759, where an unseen spirit pulls the door shut when people try to enter. There are those, too, that would argue that room 441 is not the most haunted at the hotel. That prize is said to really belong to an unnamed room on the 12th floor. The haunting here was so horrifying that the hotel managers decided it would be best to not only not rent out the room, but to seal it up forever. The door was removed and replaced with a wall and covered over in wallpaper. Many claim that it is this room that is featured in the story and movie about a young man who convinces the hotel manager to let him stay in the haunted room that is said to cause another guest to commit suicide. That was a pretty good movie. I enjoyed that one. On the fifth floor, people claim to hear groans near the elevator. There are at least two people that are believed to have fallen down the elevator shaft or jumped. Who knows? The gold room is popular for weddings. But if you chance having your nuptials hosted in this room, you just might end up with something missing in your wedding photos. Specifically, members of your wedding party or family who try to join you in those pictures. Final photos will have spaces in the pictures that are blank where someone had been standing. It's a weird phenomenon that seems to remove the living from pictures. This generally happens in any pictures taken near the grand piano in the gold room. Could it be that a spirit blocks the person in the picture? Could that spirit belong to a construction worker? There's a legend that a worker was walled in the drywall somehow during construction. The remnants of this can be seen in the hand of mystery in the closets behind the balcony in the gold room. I've never heard that phenomenon, Denise. I've heard of people being in the pictures that are ghosts, but never that people just all of a sudden aren't in the picture. Yeah, I'm glad that it didn't get more creepy because the first place my mind went is like, did something happen to those people later on? (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh, then I would like never get my picture taken there because I wouldn't want to know. No, it's just like, you know, you've got mom and dad on one side and all of a sudden dad isn't in the picture. And you're like, wait a minute, there's no reason we would have taken a picture with mom standing there in a space between us. The Florentine Room, which is where the roller skating rink used to be, and there's a residual haunting here that features the sounds of that pastime of roller skates moving across the floor, the ominous piping of organ music, and the sounds of laughter and disembodied voices. The North Tower is host to the spirits of a mother and her children. Apparently, she was so depressed that she decided to commit suicide by jumping from a balcony on the North Tower, but she didn't want to leave her children behind, so she tossed them from the balcony before she jumped herself. 
Most often, only the apparition of one of the boys is seen. And I did see on one blog, the story that supposedly is behind this is her husband said that they'd come from uh, a Nazi-occupied area during the war and that it had left her depressed or something and that that's why she had done this. It seems as though all common areas of the hotel have some kind of unexplained phenomenon happening. Objects throw themselves about, cold spots are felt, and there are apparitions seen as well. Most of these occurrences happen at night. Some wonder if these could be the work of a ghost that has become famous at the hotel, and that is Peg Leg Johnny. Johnny was a disabled homeless man who met his final fate at the hotel. He was killed here and now seems doomed to wander the halls, particularly in the south tower of the hotel. Whenever he is seen, he mysteriously vanishes before he can be approached. And that apparition has only one leg, which is why they think it's him. And we did find a review on TripAdvisor from Twisted Elegance 25. In 2009, it was written, I stayed there on a company trip, so I didn't actually pick this hotel. All I know is it was definitely haunted. I was laying on my bed and the curtain moved to the side as if somebody was peeking at me. Then my friend said she heard someone whistling in our room while she was in the bathroom. She looked out and nobody was there. It happened three times. I had no idea this hotel was even haunted until I told my friend about it and he looked the hotel up for me. He sent me the link about it. This hotel is one of the most haunted hotels in Chicago. I wish I had known this before I stayed there. The hallways look like the hallways from the movie The Shining. The bed was super uncomfortable. The room was absolutely freezing. It was so hot out, too. I had to ask the bell guy for a lot of extra blankets, and my friend and I were still freezing. So I then asked them how to turn the heater on, and they said that they only turn on the hotel heater during the winter time. He came back to our room and felt how cold it was, so then searched the hotel for a portable heater for us. Thank God he found one. It somewhat helped a little. The hotel seemed really pretty downstairs, but the rooms I didn't like very much at all. I felt like I was staying in an old grandma's room. Anyway, if you guys like ghosts, then yeah, sure. Stay at this hotel, LOL. I love how that's described an old grandma's room. It's called historical furniture. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if it was the same stuff that grandmother had had back years ago, you want the the linens to not be from the old grandma's room, (laughs) but... The decor should be. Although you could see, I don't know how young this person was, but if you had, because like grandmas these days are out, you know, running marathons and stuff like that. So she did say old grandma. So not a regular grandma. It's an old grandma's room. I guess that's true. Because when we think about it, you know, our moms have been grandmothers. And yeah. I wouldn't have said that they were old grandma, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> The listeners who suggested this location, Matthew Herons and Kristen Swintek, we asked them if they would share a little bit about their stays when they had stayed at these hotels. And so we're going to share those with you guys. Matthew had said, it's an outdated hotel, which I found charming-ish. Think Wes Anderson movie. Definitely helps with the creep vibe. The location is great right across from Buckingham Fountain, and that's a gorgeous fountain. The Stephen King short story 1408 was based on the hotel, but the movie was not filmed there. There have been some pretty famous guests there. It's true that Matthew Herons has been seen checking in there. (laughs) And for those that don't know, Matt is the individual who designed the picture of Denise and I from the Haunted Mansion. And he is pretty famous as an artist. His artwork is all over the place. And it's very, very good. I did some walking around and took some recordings in the hallway around the infamous room 441. 
I spent some time there and caught nothing. I didn't see anything. However, I did catch two ladies that had done the same as me, and they said they saw a man through the divider door window to the next hallway, and then he was just gone. Does this mean it's not haunted? Who knows? I think that if you really want to get to the heart of that answer, you have to book 441 and stay focused on it. If you want a fair-priced hotel downtown with a lure of haunting, then it will be worth staying there. And then Kristen says, I absolutely love the Congress Hotel. It might not be one of the most luxurious hotels in downtown Chicago, but it is beautiful, very affordable, and in an excellent location. It's right on the famous Michigan Avenue across the street from Grant Park and Buckingham Fountain. It's walking distance to the Art Institute, the art museum that Ferris, Sloan, and Cameron go to in the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Very close to the museum campus, which includes the Shedd Aquarium, the Field Museum of Natural History, and the Adler Planetarium. And you can also see Lake Michigan, if you have a room facing Michigan Avenue. I haven't stayed there in over 10 years, and from a quick look at the website, it appears the rooms have been renovated since I was there last in probably 2005. I remember there being claw foot tubs in the bathroom, which appear to be gone now. Those were so neat. My first visit to the Congress Plaza Hotel was during my college orientation week. I attended Columbia College Chicago, which is located a block south of the hotel, and they had deals for families coming in for orientation. My parents and I stayed in a family suite, which included one large room with two queen beds and a smaller bedroom with a queen bed, and then there was a bathroom off of that. We surmise that the larger room was probably once used as a parlor or sitting room with the bedroom off of the parlor. My mom and I came down to the hotel early in the day and my dad was going to meet us there later after work. We weren't sure what our schedule would be like with the orientation, so we told the front desk to hold my dad's room key so he could pick it up and let himself into our room when he arrived. Orientation day was done earlier than expected and we decided to head back to the hotel to cool off from the hot summer day. My mom and I were relaxing together in the smaller bedroom, and we read the hotel booklet with information in the history of the hotel. We were reading about all the famous people who had stayed there, including former U.S. presidents, and there were pictures of what the hotel looked like in the 30s and 40s. Then there was a section on some of the hauntings around the hotel. As we were reading this particular section, we were startled by the sound of the door opening. We jumped and screamed. It was just my dad who had decided to leave work a little early and surprise us. He came in and was equally startled by our reaction and said, What the heck is the matter with you two? We told him what we were just reading, and he agreed that an old hotel like that was surely haunted, and we all had a good laugh. We didn't have anything really definitive happen while we were there. I was sleeping alone in the larger room by myself. One of the nights I woke up and felt like something was staring at me in the middle of the night. I turned around to look into the dark room, praying that I wouldn't see anything. I found the room empty but still had the unsettling feeling. I pulled the blankets over my head, squeezed my eyes shut, and willed myself to go back to sleep, hoping I wasn't going to have nightmares. It may have just been an overactive imagination, knowing that I was in a haunted hotel. I stayed there one other time with my husband back when we were dating for a little staycation in the city. I'd really like to go back soon and see if anything spooky happens. It's such a wonderful place. Ursula Bielski is the founder of Chicago Hauntings Tours, and she wrote of the Congress Plaza Hotel, since 1989, I have participated in more than three dozen investigations of the Congress Plaza, documenting no fewer than 47 distinctly haunted rooms and at least two ballrooms, as well as common areas such as employee workrooms and public guest areas. The sheer variety of phenomena reported and experienced at this massive structure is mind-boggling. Truly, there seems to be no end to the historic tragedy 
or of its supernatural manifestations. Are the spirits of the former guests and employees still walking the corridors of the Century Old Hotel? Is the Congress Plaza Hotel haunted? That is for you to decide. Sounds like a fabulous hotel. Yes, it does. On our next episode, we're going to go to a location that has all kinds of hauntings going on at it. The city of Santa Cruz is apparently very, very haunted. A lot of spiritualism was conducted there. We're going to be checking out a location suggested to us by Sasha Wolf, and that is Rispin Mansion. Very cool. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And um, we also want to welcome Emily Reidner to the Ambassador Program. She will be covering, I believe, Southeast Michigan. And then we have a few iTunes reviews to share with everybody. First one up is from Valsalva Maneuver. Spooky fun, four stars. Denise and Diane are lots of fun. History lessons never had it so good. Thank you so much for that, Valsalva. From Mennonite Mom, we have perfect five stars. I love this podcast because it isn't too long and the information makes me want to travel more. Very entertaining and informative. Thank you, Mennonite Mom, for that one. And then from Caitlin, we have Ghostly Fun, five stars. Diana and Denise are so fun and wonderful to listen to. They make the history side funny and exciting while keeping the ghostly side from being too spooky, but just spooky enough. Only wish they could put out episodes every day. Hell, every hour. I'd binge listen (laughs) 24-7. Of course, I wouldn't get any sleep, but hey. Plus, with the Spooktacular crew, you can connect with them and other fans. Keep going, ladies. Love from Austin, Texas. Well, thank you for that, Caitlin, and hope that you can meet up with us when we're in Texas. We will be spending one evening in Austin checking out the bats. I'm really looking forward to watching the bats take flight there. We want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Thanks. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review.